and welcome to the Company Watch on the Spot podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst, and by my colleague Adam Stone, Data Scientist here at Company Watch. Welcome, Nick and Adam. Good morning. Morning, Joe. We're recording today's episode on Thursday, the 24th of March. And the topic for this week, um, as we mentioned in our, our last podcast, is a spring statement. Office for Budget Responsibility, Economic and Fiscal Outlook, and some of the, the other kind of numbers that have come around um, outside of that. So, you know, the head, the spring statement, I think, universally has been regarded as, as something of a was at it type um, moment. So I think we'll, um, we won't, we won't dwell too long on the, um, on the headlines and that. But I think um, we've got kind of five topics that, that Nick has, has kind of pulled out of the, um, of the, of the announcements this week and the, and the documents from OBR. So I think that will call, that will, Fill in the core of our discussion. So, Nick, right? What okay. Are five areas. Well, before I get on to that, um, uh, a sort of health warning. Um, I think uh, we've done an awful lot of these podcasts. I don't think there will ever be, ever have been one with quite so many. This is the worst since, um, or <laughs> the highest, or the lowest um, since uh, comments. So, so just a bit of a bit of a health warning about um, hyperbole. Um, I, I thought we could look first at government borrowing figures, which came out from the ONS on Tuesday. Then we could sort of segue into inflation. Have a look at uh, some comments about GDP prospects because uh, the OBR have adjusted that quite seriously. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then um, uh, just a couple of background things about spring statement, and then finish up with uh, business investment, which is something yeah. we talk about quite regularly. Quite so if we start with the government borrowing, um, headline figures are, well, what should we say, interesting. Um, <laughs> the government borrowed $13.1 billion in February, um, and that's against market expectations of 8.1 billion. Yeah. Now it's lower than last year, but hey, wouldn't you be surprised wouldn't if it, it wasn't? Be, yeah. mm-hmm. And interestingly, however, you know, 2.4 billion down on, on 2021, it's 72 billion up on February 2020. Wow. And of course, February is a month. That's still a big number as yeah, well. That's a big number. I mean, remember that February is the month after the major tax gathering season. Yeah. So for yes. to be borrowing 13.1 billion. Um, what I uh, and and the other sort of headline figure is public sector debt is now 2.3 trillion, which is 94.7% of GDP, which is the worst since the early 1960s. Oh, the worst since COVID. Yes, goodness, COVID. That's the first one. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. What I the, the, the thing that really jumped out at me from all of this were the comments um, from the ONS and then amplified by the OBR and the Dishi Rishi yesterday that debt servicing costs so far this year in the 11 months have gone up from 37.5 billion last year to 67 billion and will be 83 billion in 22-23, which will be four times the level pre-pandemic. And the thing that I cannot get away from, and got a bit of a sort of sharp intake of breath from you two. Yeah, it's true because we picked up on the the, num- the raw numbers, but we, what we hadn't picked up on was that the, we hadn't the, put two and two, two together. together, which two together. Needed, now that the two and two making a rather unpleasant looking four. Um, 
the debt servicing costs at 83 billion in 22-23 will represent half of the predicted government borrowings in that year. Now, goodness me, how many times have we warned about what will the government do if interest rates ever rise? And, 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 and Adam is quite right in, 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 in what, what he feels in his bones that we're all getting hung up on, on, on increasing interest rates but they're still historically low. But of course, an awful lot of government debt is linked to RPI, mm, which is often stratosphere at eight percent or seven point eight percent. About about half of it, I think, is is uh, hooked to RPI. So of course, it's a really really unpleasant um, uh, number, which the, gov- which the government can do absolutely nothing about. I think there's a few, a few points I would make. The, the first one being that, you know, company watch, what do we do? We we uh, we look at companies' health and you can't quite take those principles and apply them exactly to to to, to government uh, finances, but you can to some degree. And you know, if you if you think and also in terms of personal debt as well, you know, when is debt a good thing? Well, it's a good thing when you're borrowing in order to invest. It's a good thing when you're borrowing in order to in order to sort of uh, in order to be more competent, more productive in the future, and and you know debt servicing costs, if that you know if that's half of if that's half of our borrowing, well that that's not really going into anything that's going to increase our uh, future productivity as a, as a nation. Um, one point you see, so you've made the point about how much of this is linked to the the Bank of England interest rate and also to other well to inflation. Um, both of which could well inflation's obviously gone up a lot already, but we I think we would expect the bank of interest uh, base rate the bank of England base interest rate to go up. One thing that's also come to my attention is that because of the geopolitical situation with the war in Ukraine, um, and that could have a big impact in in southern Europe, particularly in 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 Greece um, and Cyprus and so on. And we might just start to see the kind of talk of sovereign debt crises that we saw back in the in the late twenty uh, late two thousands and early twenty tens. And of course, that will that will lead our governments well to take a different approach to to debt. And we might be going back towards that kind of coalition era. A frantic scramble to get our our finances in order. Not sure if we can achieve it, but <laughs> there might be a political imperative to go down that down that route. I, I think I think you're absolutely right. Um, and 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 you know your your overarching point that it's difficult to see where the government thinks it's going on all of this. Yeah. Is a, is is a real worry. Should we move on to inflation? Um, yes, let's. Yes, let's let's do that. Um, ONS numbers um, came out just before the uh, the spring statement. Um, CPI figure in February six point two percent, and that's higher, isn't it, than than market was expecting? Y- the the general consensus, I think, is it Reuters who runs a, a poll of economists, which must be a very interesting um, <laughs> exercise. In as an ex market researcher myself, I, I don't think I fancy doing that one. Um, uh, it's that old joke about um, four economists in a room and six different forecasts. Um, <laughs> but the market expectation was five point nine percent. Yeah. Uh, so 6.2% compares with 5.5% in January and 5.2% in December last year. And here we go again, klaxon uh, um, alert. Um, 
This is the highest since March 1992, 30 years precisely on that. Mm. Um, And of course, remember that what the MPC said last week was that CPI would peak at 8% in Q 2022, but perhaps might be a little higher later in the year. Well, OBR are going further than that now, aren't they? OBR are putting their, putting their kind of colours to the flag, saying, you know, it's almost certainly going to be Q4 um, high inflation. Yes, that's right. And, and, and the, what the OBR said um, yesterday was that inflation will average 7.4% in 2022 and 4% in 2023. So what what do we think is driving this inflation overall? Because obviously at the moment there's such a lot of talk about uh, the war in Ukraine and 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 we know that the the global price of energy has has been has been going up for some time. Uh, but do you think that's all it is? I mean, it's so tempting to just look at, to explain it all away with the war in Ukraine as a sort of a shock, but it isn't a shock, is it? It's been coming down the road for quite a long time even though the Bank of England has sort of been denying it over and over again until they can deny it, until they can deny it no more. No more. Um, you know, I mean, this is such a complex um, uh, topic. I'm not sure. Really uh, I'm not ducking it, but I I think, um, I mean, it's very interesting. I saw something yesterday which made me wonder about this whole inflation and, and it's all it's all the fault of the energy price because... The price of gas peaked at over 500 pence, I think. Pence, I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, either last week or very early this week, yesterday it was down to 200. And uh, somebody commented on social media that that meant that the rise in the energy price cap in October might only be, be 10 or 12%. But isn't Not, the problem? It's so volatile. There's so yes. much volatility in everything at the moment. It, it's, it's very. It's like kind of trying to deal with jelly or something. It's very difficult to to, to uh, hold yeah. on to. And yeah. I think Adam, your point about Ukraine. I think Ukraine. It hasn't helped. But I think no. to try and explain everything in terms of the war is mm. misleading. And you know, we were looking. Nick and I talked a lot on the the podcast about this this being a real concern. And actually, if you look at the difference, you know, we had what was it seven point. Five seven point six percent in the Bank of England forecast pre-war, and now it's like it's going up to eight percent. I think the the, the so it's not it's not hugely actually impacted, and it's still really the underlying problems were, were already. I think out. I think it's driven myself. I think it's driven by COVID. I mean, we've seen inflation basically being a non-event for the last for the last ten years. We've had this pandemic. Um, I don't think Brexit's helped in terms of the impact that that's had on supply. But if you look at the response of COVID and the way the government spent money. Actually, not it's not just about the amount of money that they've spent. It's also about how they've spent it. You know, the furlough scheme. We know savings that we know savings are very high. And so on. this has been kind of this has been driven a lot of this spending has been driven by quantitative easing from the Bank of England. You know, they've sure. they've they've lent them the money. But actually, that quantitative easing hasn't stayed within the financial system. It's actually gone directly out to people. And this has happened even more explicitly in the US. And and now, you know, we've got demand outstripping supply, which was damaged for all of those other reasons, the pandemic and Brexit. And what do you know? We've got, you know, we've got inflation that's 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 growing and growing. And you never know really whether to believe a forecast because you know that the forecasts have been so wrong. Oh, over the, last year the only thing you ever you ever know about forecasts is they're wrong. The question is by how much and in which direction. Yeah. Um, but are I, they biased? Are yeah. they wrong or are they biased? Are, are we sort of hoping for for 
better than we can well, really Well, expect. forecasts are in, inherently conservative because it, because uh, forecasters like the Bank of England, the MPC, or indeed the Fed in, in the US, um, if they err on the wrong side of caution, they become the screeching Jeremiahs in the, yeah. in the, the, the back of the room. Um, I'll give you a simple answer about inflation. And it is a simple answer, and it's undoubtedly too simple. What I think we are seeing is a fundamental change in the world economy because the global supply chain, globalization um, principle has broken. I think that um, what has kept inflation low is this never ending um, uh, um, flexing of supply chains ever, you know, ever searching for cheaper sources of labor um, and, and persuading you know, consumers driving downward pricing mm. strategies. I think it's done. We ain't going back there. So, um, and of course, what you, when that happens, <clears throat> we're not necessarily going back to where we were before globalization. Of course, we're not. But what has the genie that has come out of the bottle is people's expectations. So, whether it is labor or it's consumers, the situation has changed. Really so, yeah, and, and of course, you know, we it, it's interesting the uh, in among the OBR figures, they talk about average earnings, nominal earnings will rise by 5.3% in 2022, but that living standards will fall by an absolute, you know, cataclysmic record of 2.2%. Now, when you get that sort of situation, I tell you what it feels like to me being an old, a sad old nerd, it feels like um, a, a slightly tame version of what was happening in between the, the First and the Second World Wars, where you had such fundamental disruption of economies and people's lives that um, you got expectation driving behaviours, driving government policy. And politics. And politics, you know, the nationalism yeah. of the 1930s. Now, we already had nationalism um, stalking much of Europe and, and other places before the pandemic and before Ukraine. So I think we're in a period of severe disruption. I don't see it getting any better. No, I'm afraid I'm afraid I agree. You know, I so I think it's simple solutions is what people will want. Yes, simple solutions to a complex problem from and either end of the political with Brexit, spectrum. Don't you? They're kind of yeah. get Brexit done, and the, you, know, you know, there's there's messages that yeah. the simplicity of something which is reducing complexity to simplicity exactly. actually, you know, is a very appealing, yeah. but you know, leads to oh, the, it, you know, because people look to shift to the blame, right, and mm -hmm. they put the blame somewhere, one place or another. And it, oh, it's mm -hmm. the system, it's capitalism. It's, you know, yeah. all from the other side. Is, yeah. But what has changed, uh, you know, again, something else that has changed fundamentally is, you know, if you look at what happened between the war, the two wars, um, governments and and the media, which was a very simple beast in those, in those days, controlled the messaging and there was widespread 
ignorance about what was really happening. What we now have, Engaged. and that we now have, is is not uh, communication and control down from the top of governments. Mm. We have um, two, uh, many, many voices forcing change from the bottom mm. through yeah. social media and and the explosion of media channels away from away from just social media. Um, there and and so that the debate about where governments go and where economies go is no longer controlled by the governments. But but on that on that point as well, I mean, I think I think it's certainly certainly correct. Um, but one thing I was going to say is, have we gone too far the other way? I mean, now there's so much information. Yep. It's not so much that it's not out there. It's just to actually make sense of it. And I think we're yep. you know, things are a lot more complex than they were in those days as well. Actually, to make sense of it is almost well, it's an impossible task in it in and of itself. So it's yep. almost kind of obfuscation through too much information rather than that kind of yep. deliberate or systemic obfuscation. That Adam, the problem about. is not that there's too much information. The problem is that there are too many people looking at it <laughs> and coming to too many conclusions. conclusions. Yeah. And, 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 of course, where you get too much data and too much complexity, people crave for, as, you, as we've said, simple solutions, and very often they're not the right ones. Yeah. No, they're I not the right ones. Anyway, almost, sorry. almost always they're not. Yeah, the right I feel ones. like we're we we we. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I mean, we should apologise to the listeners. We're having a philosophical moment here. Um, <laughs> let's go um, back. Let's let's go back to our. our um, okay, GDP prospects. Just yeah. picking up that in October last year, um, the OBR were predicting six percent growth this year. Yesterday they cut that to three point eight percent, but. You know, that's bad enough. If you then look, their forecasts are 1.8% in 23, 2.1% in 24, 1.5% in 25, and 1.7% in 26. So we have got four years of low growth out there at a time when I would have thought growth and productivity was key as a as a means of coming out of here. Um, and I'll just throw in the, 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 the stat that even Adam couldn't uh, hadn't picked up previously. Um, the average growth in the UK economy between 1956 and 2021, so long period, some huge fluctuations in there, was 2.33%. So we're looking at a four-year period with growth below the long-term average. And that's on the back, actually, of a period since the financial since the financial crash back in 2008, yeah. where we've seen growth well below that that level on average yeah. as well. So it's yes, I know it's I compounding know. something that was already seriously wrong. I mean, you can see there's something seriously wrong because interest rates have never recovered to where they were before the before that crash. Absolutely right. Um, spring statement we've sort of covered. Um, my my. Uh, my comment to somebody about this yesterday was not so much a damp squib as a total abrogation of responsibility um, on, on that. The OBR summed it up quite nicely when they said that um, the measures that um, the Chancellor announced would offset half of the rise in energy bills coming, coming next month, yeah. not the October one, just the April one, and it would cover a third of the fall in living standards. 
which is yeah. a very that, safe. Isn't that, isn't that that doesn't that mean I think they were saying that actually at living standard the fall from two point two would have been even greater would have been closer to kind of three percent. Yes, had you not yes, done these yes, things. Would, so I mean, would. you know, actually yeah. that, they, that they were clear in, that in the OBR like living standards yeah. even yeah. after doing these things. Yeah, yeah. 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 And then we saw the response. Sorry, Nick. Then we saw the response by Rachel Reeves, a sort of Alice in Wonderland picture that she presented in, in Parliament yesterday. Um, but she was talking about, you know, has down become the new up and so on. But what she was really doing was making fun of, of Sunak, who claims to be a tax cutting chancellor. You know, these are his principles. If only he could get to, to the kind of normal fiscal conditions that, that you know, the idealised fiscal conditions that he wants. And, and, you know, he's putting tax up more than any chancellor. Well, <laughs> I don't know since when, but certainly since certainly for a long time. And he's offset a sixth of those tax ri- uh, rises in the in the uh, spring statement yesterday. So he's claiming one thing and he's doing another. That, that, that's clear. Yeah. Yeah. And there was another little um, interesting um, background comment from the OBR that you, know, you really had to dig to find. And they um, they reported that or they, they put in their statement that UK trade has a share of GDP has dropped by 12% since 2019, which is a fairly stark figure, not necessarily surprising, except that that's two and a half times more than any other G7 economy. Which and is, there, was another, there was another quote in there about, you know, again, we're kind of really like looking at Brexit here. And they said there's little evidence to suggest that we revise our assumption about the negative effect of Brexit on UK trade flows and that we continue to forecast little growth in export and import volumes and a fall in the trade intensity of the economy over the medium term. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the best you can say about that, you know, without delving into the politics of Brexit, and you know, we, we've we've worked reasonably hard at avoiding that over the last couple of years, is whether you think Brexit was right or was wrong, it's spectacularly badly timed on a hindsight basis. Yeah, you couldn't have done that at a worse time. Um, but anyway, let's let's move on. Brexit is not something for now. I don't. Th- I don't, I don't <laughs> There's think. a variety of views around this table. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and the last topic we had, just very briefly, and it came out of the OBR statement, was uh, on business investment, which everybody knows who listens regularly to this podcast is 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 dear to Joe's heart mm. as a as a core driver of growth. OBR says it will grow by ten percent in twenty twenty two, mainly boosted by the super deduction. Yeah tax break um, on that. And I think that's rather different to what other commentators were saying really quite recently. Um, it's rather higher. Yeah, I can't remember how that compares because, you know, we, we know that from the Bank of England, business investment is, is growing and there's optimism, but it's still below um, COVID levels. So I'm, I, haven't, I haven't quite located the, the 10% growth in terms of what that means you know, for, for comparatively to, to pre no, I, I, I looked and couldn't find it. So it's obviously, it's out there somewhere. Some economists would have Somebody done told, it. Some. I'm sure it's in the 234 pages as well when, when I have a chance to read. One thing I wanted to say as well, and this is something that I, that I think we often talk about with OBR because they don't seem to have very much focus on this, which, you know, I think from our point of view is um, perhaps surprising, is around insolvencies. Um, and 
you know, the very scant <laughs> mentions of insolvencies, and we are obviously all kind of quite aware that, that that's starting to change and we're picking up. They just say that insolvencies have risen since government support was withdrawn, but this may partly reflect some catch-up for unusually low levels during the pandemic. Um, and the cumulative number of insolvencies over the past two years remains below pre-pandemic levels. Yeah. And I am disappointed really not to see something more in terms of what may be coming down the line with insolvencies and the impact and actually the size of of the insolvencies that we might might see. They talk talk obviously about some of the energy firms and you know Bulb and Richard Gazprom, you know, going to special um special measures. But again, I think that's something to be to be aware of that they haven't really factored that in in their assumptions. I I, th- I think that's right. And I think you, you know, harking back to something we discussed in the last podcast, <clears throat> it's interesting that the the one type of insolvency that did increase in February was administrations. And broadly speaking, this is a slight generalisation, broadly speaking, administration is, is tends to be for bigger companies, yeah. if only because of the complexity and the costs associated with it. The, the answer is it's not the solution for little SMEs, um, generally speaking. It's, it, it is. And, and my anecdotal um, interpretation of what's happening and my gut feeling from what I'm picking up is that conditions are not good um, in the sort of middle rank of a number of markets that I look closely at, um, particularly construction, which is, as we know, the yeah. canary in the coal mine. You know, it's always first down the um, down the line. Um, uh, where some surprisingly big companies are getting into trouble. And, and that, I think, tells you that basic conditions in the economy are not good. I think we're just in uncharted territory, aren't we? I mean, completely. Companies, the, the number of companies that have been forced, allowed to take on debt during this pandemic, um, the way that the way that uh, the way that creditors and landlords and so on haven't been able to pursue arrears, the conditions are so different to what we've seen before that it, it's really hard to predict where where mm. things are going. Only to really say that that things are not looking good. Yeah, and and, and actually, I can throw um, a couple of stats, uh, perhaps as a final comment uh, on on this. Although my sensation, my, my my gut feeling is that we're beginning to see the emergence of problems at the beginning, sort of near the top end of of, of markets. The the play, you know, the players who are not don't have good business models and have somehow fiddled through the last couple of years. When you look at the the shape of balance sheets post-pandemic, or as pandemic is the pandemic has has unfolded, you see a very a clear reality. So I mean we talk about endlessly on here, you need to be looking at the smaller end of your risk. The companies, the smaller, smaller companies. I've now looked at two sectors in detail in the last couple of months, retail and hospitality. And in both sectors, if you look at the medium-sized and small companies, debt levels in their balance sheets have gone up by between yeah. two and three times in the last year. Yeah. That's the last year in the public domain. So that would take us to sort of back end of 2020, 2020. Yeah. Um, where, by, by which time most of the borrowing had been done. Mm-hmm. So you know, the answer is you have got an awful lot of over-leveraged smaller companies without the ability uh, to and the resources 
to cope with that level of debt. And that's where that's where the bulk of the insolvencies will come from. But there's going to be more at the top end as well. And there's, contag- there's always contagion with these well, things. And also just to draw a parallel with what you said right in the beginning, when you talked about the how the debt servicing cost had formed such a, a large component of government borrowing, you know, this applies for those smaller companies as well. You know, they're saddled with all of this debt. Mm-hmm. They can't invest in anything to increase their future productive productive capacity. Um, and you know their prospects for growth are very low, and that, that's why we're going to see a really difficult, I think, a really difficult decade ahead. Yeah. Well, I think that on that note, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to not end on a more cheery matter. No, well, hopefully we'll we'll, we'll we'll come back to this. I'm sure lots of times over the uh, over the coming weeks and months. But thank you very, both very much indeed for your um, for your comments on. Um, Thanks on, for having um, us. No, but a pleasure. Yes. Thanks <laughs> as always. Thanks everybody for listening. Until next time. Bye-bye. 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 Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.